Geico presents, uh, not again, another voicemail from your roommate. Hey, man, so I was in a rush to get to work and I left the back door open. Could you shut it? I left it wide open. Uh, while you're there, could you also turn off the oven and all of the burners? <laughs> My mom never let me use the oven. I wonder why. <laughs> The GEICO Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected, like if it's your roommate's first time operating an oven. Visit GEICO.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance. From Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. I'm Jen. I'm Ginny. I'm Natalie. And we are the Art History Babes. And today we're talking about alchemy and art, which is very exciting. I just did all my like research today, but it's... There's a lot of layers. There's a lot of, just a plethora of stuff to talk about. It's a very vast topic. So um, we're going to get into some of that. But first, a couple of announcements. First and foremost... The author of the seminal art history text with Ways of Seeing. Yeah. Um, John Berger passed away yesterday, which is a bummer. Rest in peace. But if you haven't read that book, you totally should. It's fantastic. It's a really easy read. It's very short. And it's it's basically like, I don't know, he was one of the first like art theorists to just be like, you know what, I'm sick of art's bullshit. So he was a pretty great man. And he did the whole like BBC special that like the book was written, off, written after and did a lot of art historical work and criticism. So John Berger... Thank you for thanks, sir. Thank you for thanks for helping us see. Yeah, we appreciate it. (laughs) He did, though. He really helped us see. So we have a guest with us today. Hooray! We love her. We love her so much. Miss Faith is a MFA art student, and she is here to help us talk about alchemy because it's also an interest of hers. Um, But first, we're gonna pass it over to her and let her talk a little bit about her artwork and such. Faith! Hello! I feel so welcome. It's so weird to be here. I feel like I should cook because I always listen to you guys when I'm cooking. That is like a form of alchemy. Yeah, definitely. Alright, so I should preface this by saying I urge you to go to my website to like Mm -hmm. look at the work because I talk about my work almost every day and it's very unsatisfying because it's like a visual communication so yeah definitely we'll post a link awesome okay yeah we'll we'll have a link for faith's work what is the website it's my name.com faithsponsler.com s-p-o-n-s-l-e-r perfect well i'm just gonna get into a little bit of the ideas that i'm interested in and how i explore them I'm interested in ideas of transformation, chance processes, and the relationships between objects, environments, and mental spaces. I explore these ideas through a wide range of media, including, but not limited to, ink that I make myself, found objects, plaster, and cement. And these have recently been forming into site-specific installations that include the floor, walls, and sometimes paper, instead of single separate art objects. The ink is probably the most important part of the process. Uh, I find all of the materials myself sourced from specific environments. It's a two-part chemical mix with one part tannins and the other part iron. The tannins come from these things called oat galls, which is like a whole other can of worms. <laughs> yeah, it's, what is that? I don't it's know. It's super what that interesting. Is. Should I go into it? Sure, yeah. yeah, right. yeah well, definitely. oak galls are like these sort of like weird bulbous growths on some oak trees oh. made from these insects called gall wasps, which they're not mm. like they're wasps. not like regular wasps. Mm-hmm. They're like little tiny uh, fly-like things that have this specific protein that they sort of not inject, but <laughs> like put put on the oak tree, and it basically programs it to make this like bulb for its larva Whoa. to eat out of. Whoa. And so 
I just recently learned that tannins in plants, like high concentrations, are um, like a defense mechanism. They're really bad for animals to eat. So that makes sense, right? Yeah. For mm -hmm. the insect yeah. to like do this thing that makes this bulb. So they have a lot of tannins, which is what I need, and that's what I use with the iron. So the second part is the iron, which I get from found metal objects. So those are the two parts for the ink that I use. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's, that's a pretty brief overview. But if you look that was at good. That yeah. Was good. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, no, it's yeah. interesting. So yes. you are like an alchemist, pretty much. She's yeah. an alchemist. Thanks, wow. Jen. That's amazing. <laughs> Super interesting. I love hearing about like different processes and stuff because like. As art historians, we so rarely get to actually work with materials and like playing yeah. with cool shit like that. Like totally. that's just really interesting. Mm -hmm. And what it, what was the the bulbous thing you were talking about? They're again? called oak galls. Oak, oak galls. galls. You probably <laughs> all like felt them in my They're studio because like... I make you like hold them. <laughs> <laughs> I work with like sponge. Like that's not a good way to describe. They're them, like really like... coarse and light. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um... So you you like have so many cool up. things in your studio all the time, just like tactile, mm -hmm. like great fun things. That's why I like them. Be sure to check out Faith's work. It's really cool and perfect kind of segue into our topic today. She's interested in alchemy, obviously. She kind of is an alchemist. Before we started recording, we just got presents from Miss Faith, um, which is kind of like an alchemical alchem process. Totally. Like, yeah. it's really yeah. interesting. There are these prints that, like, appear when you use, like, coffee to, right. like, how... has tannins. Yeah, there you go. Black tea tannins. would work, too, but... Black tea. Better. So okay. there were these, um, these, like, winter solstice prints, and we're supposed to submerge them in coffee or tea, yeah, and then they appear magically. <laughs> it's going to be so cool. I'm so excited for it. I'm really looking forward to doing that with the little leftover coffee that I have in my pot yes. in the morning. Yeah. I'm just going to do that and be like, well, <laughs> magic. You can even, if you're like me and like can't bear to waste drinkable coffee, you can even like pour some extra hot water in your grounds and it'll Ooh. work. Mm. Damn. For the cheapo. <laughs> I am the cheapo. <laughs> Faith, do you want to start with a little bit of historical information that you have? Sure. Yeah. As, as you touched on, it's like a very complicated history that's like spotty because like a lot of literature was lost like right. in the early days. Yeah. Um, I, I actually didn't really know a lot about alchemy until my professors were like, how do you not know about this? And I'm like, I don't know. That's so relevant to me. Oh, also, I should mention before I get into history, the most common contemporary pop culture reference is, of course, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Yes! Which was changed to the Sorcerer's Stone Why? by American publishers. Why did they do the that? Letters. No, it means nothing. Yeah. Because yeah. it no. looks like a Philosopher's right. Stone in the movie. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's supposed to, and Nicholas Flamel was a real person, guys. Because! He's a medieval, like, Parisian notary. It's not like they couldn't yeah, translate not? the word philosopher. Exactly. <laughs> they, someone just thought, like, ooh, sorcerer sounds like, cooler. That's more marketable. <laughs> yeah, dumb. dumb. So dumb. Anyway, the history of alchemy. So the history of alchemy is usually divided into three main chronological periods, which are the Greco-Egyptian and later Byzantine, which stretched from the 3rd to 9th century, and set many of alchemy's uh, main foundations. And then there was the Arabic or Islamic period, uh, which stretched from the 8th to 15th century, that took its Greek heritage and really augmented it with theoretical frameworks and a lot of practical techniques and knowledge. And then alchemy arrived in medieval Europe, where it received its largest following. Its golden age was really during the early modern period, from the 16th to early 18th century, an era known as the Scientific Revolution. Oh! Yeah! <laughs> Science. Um, yeah, so it's like real complicated, but that's the most like brief history I could come up with. As for the very basic concepts, uh, the main goal of alchemy that stuck throughout its history was the search of finding a way to turn base metals such as 
uh, lead, tin, copper, mm -hmm. and the like into gold or silver. Mm -hmm. This process was called transmutation, which I know Corey is going to go more in depth with, as well as the Philosopher's Stone. There were four distinct stages to this process called negretto, a blackening, albedo, a whitening, citronitas, a yellowing, and rubedo, a red, or first one was yellowing, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And rubedo, a reddening, or a purpling. A lot of alchemical imagery contains these colors, but something so fascinating about alchemy and its imagery is just how shrouded in secrecy it is. Yeah. Like, that's, oh, it just, I the wall. it's so fascinating. It's like a super secret club, right. basically. Exactly. Yeah, a lot of the imagery contained, like, allegories, archetypes, metaphors, analogies, and, like, who knows what else? Like, to keep it so secret. And, like, to keep it from getting into the wrong hands because yeah. that was that was a thing like alchemists wanted to keep themselves safe also from those who would like seek the alchemists who supposedly knew these like really powerful secrets mm. sort of similar to the tarot actually yeah and that's all i got for that brief history now i'm gonna pass it over to Corey for some more in-depth stuff thank you faith of course. <laughs> My pleasure. That was lovely. And we'll hear a little bit more from Faith on some contemporary artists that kind of work with alchemy as well, which is super cool. So I have this book, Astrology, Magic, and Alchemy and Art. It looks so cool. It's so cool. <laughs> like, I, I'm really, I've had it for a long time. It's one of those books I've had for a long time, but yeah. I just, it's just been sitting on my bookshelf, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm really excited to spend more time with it because I basically just spent like a few hours with it today to research for this, and it's amazing. Like, it's just so cool. I and borrow it. yeah, definitely. You can definitely borrow it. So, a lot of my information is coming from the alchemy section of this book, kind of piggybacking off of some of the historical information that Faith was talking about. Okay, so alchemy, just as a practice, been around for a long time. Um, according to this, it says that it can be traced back to uh, Vedic India, um, and then it kind of spread throughout the Mediterranean between the 8th and 7th century BC. But there's also, like, connections to it as far back as, like, the 12th or 12th century, 13th century. Mm -hmm. So it's mm -hmm. one of those things that's really big and complicated. It's related to Pythagoreanism, uh, Hermeticism, which Jenny's going to talk about a little bit later, and the Kabbalah, oh, right? yes. which I thought was really interesting because huh. I don't know anything about the Kabbalah except that, like, celebrity Madonna. Madonna. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is literally what I was about <laughs> yes. to say. Yes, the red bracelet. Yeah, yes. it says that Madonna was into it for a while. Well, not to re reiterate, but the tarot is, like, heavily influenced by Kabbalistic ideas. Ooh, awesome. Ah. We're going to do an episode on tarot, BT does. Yes. Yeah. Is can you tell I'm, like, itching? Yeah. <laughs> no, Faith is going gonna, is gonna to return for our tarot episode. Faith is our tarot queen. Um, because if you're familiar with the tarot, just in, like, no matter how you feel about it, the illustrations of tarot cards are amazing. Super like, cool. You can find so many cool tarot card decks, and it's very historical, and it's been around for a long time. So it's a super interesting topic, which we will also do an episode on. Similarly, alchemy has a lot of the same connections. Faith kind of talked about it a little already. It's hard to put like a hard definition on something like alchemy because it's so old and complicated and it's this big idea. But um, it can be kind of considered a form of knowledge that aims to transform the individual psychologically and spiritually by channeling the creative energies that permeate nature and the human mind. So that's, that's a big thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so cool! <laughs> um, and it can be divided into two different kinds of alchemy. There's technical alchemy, so that's more like the actually working with like metals and, and stuff. And then theoretical alchemy, which is more the mystical, spiritual side of things. And so you're dealing with just like a search for perfection, basically, in the natural world. Um, as Faith said, the transmutation of base metals into gold, I think, is the thing people most often yeah, yeah. Um, associate with it. The creation of an elixir of Im immortality. 
Um, <laughs> I love that. Oh. <laughs> um, and then also the conquering of the Philosopher's Stone, which is a very important symbol that I'll get into a little bit more in depth in a little while. So it's very mystical. Obviously, we have learned you can't turn base metals into gold. Right. So things about alchemy have been debunked. But that doesn't mean that there haven't been a lot of great, interesting things pulled from alchemy in history and in art. Interestingly, some scientific discoveries that were the result of alchemy were uh, alcohol distillation. Sure, why not? So thanks, alchemy. <laughs> um, thanks, alchemy. Uh, understanding the composition of porcelain. And also the invention of gunpowder. So not so much thanks, alchemy. But <laughs> can't um, win them all. Yeah, you, you can't. You're getting the bad with the good. Yeah. yeah. And there is an image in this book, which we will put up on the website, that is basically, it's a alchemical allegory. It is a frontispiece from Francois Berolde de Vevie. Basically, I mean, the image is, it looks kind of like the cover of, of a book or something. And it, it has all of these symbols of alchemy. Like uh, um, at the top, the phoenix is the crown of the alchemical opus. It represents a spiritual divine dimension from which souls were born. Uh, you also have down in the bottom right-hand corner a philosopher that achieves the perfection of man and nature from both the physical point of view and that of energy and spirit. So this idea of like this embodiment of perfection that they're seeking with alchemy. And then over on the left-hand side, there's a snake and dragon intertwined. Mm -hmm. um, they express the union of sulfur and mercury in addition to being a symbol of universal totality and the harmony of opposites, which is also an idea I'm going to get into a little bit more. Um, and there's a few other ones as well, but there's just it's just kind of this conglomeration of different symbols of alchemy in this image, which leads me to a bunch more symbols of alchemy. <laughs> <laughs> so there are a ton of them, and I don't have time to get into every single one of them. If you're interested, I strongly suggest you get this book. It's really well done. I think it was done by the Getty, actually, I'm pretty sure. J. Paul Getty Museum, Los Angeles. So check this book out, but just some symbols and how they can relate to alchemy. Get into some symbology here. I feel like the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> <laughs> so light and shadow. Alchemy is concerned with binaries. Um, you have like human and divine, male and female, sun and moon, hot and cold, basically all the binaries. That's a big focus of alchemy because like theoretical alchemy claims to be this branch of universal knowledge that is based in the principle of harmony of opposites. So there's harmony found in these binaries. And so that is something that's used a lot in alchemical knowledge. Um, another one is the metaphor of the journey. So like journey narratives are really common. Mm. Oh, Alchemist is like my favorite book in the world by it's Paulo so Coelho. Yeah. That's like all I know about alchemy, but it's so good. That's yeah. Great book. No, really sorry good. to cut you off for you. No, it's okay. It really excites me. Um, no, The Alchemist is a, also a fantastic novel. So another book for you to check out. And it's very much about the journey. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it's a great, great book. This journey narrative is used to kind of describe the unfolding of the alchemical process, with the goal of which is the integration of the psychic, energetic, and corporeal principles that preside over the life of man in the universe. So it's this journey to finding this perfection, basically. Um, and then another one, this one's probably one of my favorites. I just, I don't know, I just think it's a cool symbol, and you see it in a lot of art. But it's the idea of God the Architect. And this is usually an image of a god figure commanding chaos or measuring the world with a compass. We'll also post an image of this. The image that we'll post is actually from circa 1220, so like a long-ass time ago. Wow. And it's just like, just like this dude... Looks like Jesus. He looks yeah, he looks yeah. looks like very, Jesus to me. Like he's concentrating very. Yeah, much. it's a very con. <laughs> like <his> eyes. He's <laughs> Jesus is getting down to business, and he's got in in Isn't his hands. Dope, he looks like he hasn't slept for a few days. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. He's it's creating the world. I mean, yeah. it's, it's not an easy job. <laughs> he pulled it all later. Okay. 
<laughs> exactly, yeah. His eyes, he looked kind of bugged out. And he's focusing on this circular object, with which, yeah, I mean, in 1220 BC, it's probably representing the world because we didn't know that much about the world. But it also reminds me of, like, a cell, like a human cell. It looks like a cell, oh, totally. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting because it works on, like, a macrocosmic and microcosmic level, you know? He's being the architect of the universe. And it's, yeah, it's a great image. And it also represents kind of this clashing of the mystical and the rational. And, like, we talk about science. Like, science is starting to become a thing. And, yeah. But we're still, you know, we there's still all these mystical layers of existence. So, I mean, anything that combines those two things, like the mystical and the rational, I think is fantastic. Why so, yeah. people stop doing that? I don't know. I think I... I'm I, doing it, guys. I know. <laughs> Faith is doing it. <laughs> I'm seeing a comeback. I think it's. I think it's, I think you're right. I think it's happening again, and I'm very excited about it because mystical things lead to the most interesting scientific questions. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I a, think it like expands your mind to think yeah. about things that you wouldn't normally think are possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it leads you to conclusions you wouldn't well, normally. Science wouldn't be a thing without people doing exactly like you're saying, right. imagining something that they couldn't prove and seemed impossible. I mean, that's where all science has come from. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, all exactly. of it. <laughs> and yeah, a lot of so the, why not more? the best scientists were definitely out there in their thinking. It's all right. it's all about trying to understand the world, and the world isn't necessarily rational, so you can't look right. at it totally rationally. As we watch the suburban garden gnome carefully, carefully without disturbing it, we notice that it moves like not at all. It's inanimate and utterly without brain function, but... Despite that, when a garden gnome hears about how Geico not only saves people money, but also gives them access to licensed agents 24-7 online and over the phone, it's clear to them you should switch. Because yes, switching to Geico is a no-brainer. But on second thoughts, maybe don't watch garden gnomes too carefully. People might talk. But yeah, so that's a very interesting aspect of alchemy and why... You know, I think it's very relevant, like, in your work, and, like, it's just a very a relevant thing to be playing with. Because, yeah, so we learned we can't turn base metals into gold. That doesn't mean the entire thing isn't, you know, important in the understanding of the scientific world, you know? Right, right. Okay, so another symbol, uh, the alchemical atom, um, which is referring to the story of Adam and Eve, which, you know, is, like... A bananas misogynistic story, but <laughs> bananas. Um, no way. <laughs> but this kind of goes back to the binary idea. You know, you have Adam and Eve, male and female, and the story is like Adam was born from the breath of God, and therefore within him is the secret of universal creation, which is exactly what alchemy is searching for. So Adam connects to alchemy in that kind of way. Um, then we have the Christ lapis. Which Lazuli. is basically, yeah, it's like lapis lazuli. Um, <laughs> if you remember our color theory episode, we talked about. <laughs> if you remember our color theory episode, we talked about lapis lazuli, pretty I'm blue wearing, stone. I'm wearing earrings right now. Those are beautiful. Lapis Christ lapis is basically Christ as a metaphor for the philosopher's stone. So that's lapis is stone. Like that's kind of the idea. Um, is that Christ being used in certain contexts is the embodiment of the Philosopher's Stone, um, which leads me to the Philosopher's Stone. Yes. Uh, so the Philosopher's Stone, this is a very important aspect of alchemy. It is the stone that transforms base metals into gold and frees the vital spirit permeating all substances in the universe from their bodily incrustations. It is said to heal any physical, psychological, or mental imperfection, extend human life. Uh, it is also a metaphor for spiritual elevation. By obtaining the Philosopher's Stone, one is able to reproduce the vital spark of life, essentially. So that one thing that... You know, science doesn't understand <laughs> that nobody really knows, like, what it actually is. <laughs> That's what the Philosopher's Stone is supposed to do. Um, and it can, be, it can be depicted in a number of ways. Like I mentioned, the Christ figure can kind of overlap. It can be depicted as a diamond, as a square surmounted by a cross, or as a thin, incorruptible substance that permeates the universe. Whoa. And that idea, it made me, like, instantly think of, like, dark matter. Yeah. 
that, you know, the 25% of the universe is made up of dark matter and we don't actually know what it is. It's basically just like a layer that just permeates our life. And right. <laughs> it's really tricky. <laughs> we should we should call up Neil deGrasse Tyson and be like, Oh, fantastic. That would be so cool. Neil if, Connor show. If, you, if he's busy, I could try and contact my undergrad astrology teacher. Astronomy. Astronomy. <laughs> I do that like once every 50 times I talk about it. Me Actually, too. probably more. That would be cool, too. Like, I... Dr. O. Let's get Dr. O on the show. <laughs> if you're cute. listening. He's one of those guys who's like, he's like, if you think aliens don't exist, you're high. <laughs> get out of my face. Yeah. <laughs> he's basically the guy from Ancient Aliens. <laughs> yes. oh, I haven't seen yes. that yet. Dude, I've been watching, since we talked about it, I've been talking about, I've been watching Ancient Aliens. That show is nuts. Yeah. I want to do a Crop Circles episode really bad. Totally. Because, I mean, they're art. Like, I mean, we're we're getting crazy (laughs) episode ideas. To be fair, Crop Circles have been proven to be created by humans, so they're just art created by humans. Which makes it even cooler. Yeah, but they're really cool. I've never watched Ancient Aliens. Is it worth watching? Yeah. Yeah, no, I've never seen it. I have not if you oh. watch it and you're like bored with it, then you should watch the Vice channel that has like really stoned guys watching it. <laughs> and it's like, like there's green screen behind them and it's amazing. Back to symbols of alchemy. So then another interesting symbol is the rebus, which is in huh. which I will also put an image of because there's this really great image oh, here. Oh wow! Yeah. Look at <laughs> Pubic hair. <laughs> yeah, like, Why what is, is so much longer on there? Oh, she has the longest pubes <laughs> I have ever seen. That's like mid-thigh. Oh, yeah, that's crazy. So the that's Rebus a is a two-headed figure endowed with both male and female attributes. Which is just an interesting figure in alchemy and history because... As mentioned before, alchemy is really concerned with these binaries. So the rebus is this configuration of these like binaries. You know, you have male and female together in one being. Um, but it's very like like what it looks like is a Siamese twin, according mm-hmm. to this image. But one's male and one's female, which isn't a thing that happens. But um, but it's interesting and. <laughs> Slowly. Well, because isn't Siamese twins, they have to be the same gender, don't they? I don't know no, about that. Actually, I don't know. Because don't they have know. to be from the same egg to be Siamese twins? You're right. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah, I could be wrong. No, I think, I think you're right. I think you are because every Siamese twin I've seen has been. Yeah, yeah that's what I was going to say. We could be wrong, but I just thought Siamese twins had to be from the same egg. Yeah. Therefore, they'd have to be the you same. You can email us if we're wrong. Please. Yeah, please do. With sources. Yeah. Cite, cite yourself. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, we could be wrong there, but that was just, you know, what I thought. Another symbol, uh, the hermetic mercury. Ooh. Mercury. So, as I said, Jenny's going to talk about hermeticism a little bit. But mercury from the Roman pantheon is a god he is the father of alchemy and guardian um guardian god of the occult sciences he is able to adopt the form of any substance embodying the synthesis of the different dimensions of reality so that's cool um and then we also have the hermetic saturn which is considered the inspiring star of alchemists and necromancers he is personified as an old man lost in thought or taking a purifying bath also often depicted as a king devouring a stone or his children. Saturn devour- devouring oh, is, yes. yeah, um, that's a whole thing. Yeah. Let's see, there's also melancholy, um, which is a lot of times represented as a man deep in thought or a sad, grieving woman. This is another interesting one. Quintessence is a ethereal element that vivifies the universe and it may be represented as a golden rope connecting the different realms of reality or as the elixir of life. Quintessence. It's a word to know. I feel um, like you just finished that dispelling bee. <laughs> Quintessence. <laughs> Can I have it in a sentence please? <laughs> Actually, when I was looking at uh, mm-hmm. the other, there's another image for melancholy in here, and it reminded me a lot of Durham yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. of the melancholia print. And then that brings me to another one that I'm excited to talk about, which is the elements. 
Water, air, earth, and fire. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, okay, okay. So, the four elements basically combine to make up the philosopher's stone. So, the four elements work together in perfect harmony. Oh, my God. Just oh. like us. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, the idea is, like, the four elements work together in perfect harmony to make the philosopher's stone. And we always have whole thing where like the four of us are all one of the elements we're all elements because we vibe so well together i want to read just a little chunk of about the elements in this book in the manifold system of correspondences physical spiritual and cosmological that regulate hermetic knowledge each element is associated with a part of the human body a human temperament a zodiac sign a metal and a season of the year Testicles, melancholic humor, Capricorn, winter, and lead are associated with Earth. Also, Natalie is Earth. I am too. As is faith. Faith faith is an Earth sign as well. The brain, phlegmatic humor, cancer, summer, and copper are associated with water. That's me. I'm water. Um, Liver, sanguine humor, Libra, fall, and tin are associated with air. That's Ginny. Ah. And the heart, choleric humor, Aries, spring, and iron are associated with fire, which is Jen. (laughs) Choleric humor. (laughs) Perfect. Um, I'm not the only one who got genitalia. (laughs) You got testicles. (laughs) Testicles. I did too. Wait, were you telling me that Capricorn's the father of the Zodiac? Yes, he is. That's why. That's why. I mean, to be a dad... You gotta have testicles. I guess so. Ginny's the liver. See, the interesting thing about that is that I've always drank a lot of water throughout my whole life. So I'm flushing out. Taking care of that liver. Yeah. I'm the heart, which makes sense because I'm always emotional about something. (laughs) And I'm I'm the brains of the operation. Wow. That's also accurate. But yeah, so the elements can be used to kind of represent this harmony that is uh, found in the Philosopher's Stone and in alchemy. And there's this image of uh, Titian's pastoral concert. And you've probably seen it before if, you're, if you've had, you know, undergrad classes in art history. But it's a famous painting by Titian. And it's really interesting because there's four figures and each one of them is said to represent one of the elements. Yeah, it's just a way I never really thought about looking at this painting before. So we'll post that on the website. The woman kind of off to the left is water. The um, lute player that's dressed in all red is fire. The young man with his hair blown in the wind is is air. And um, the woman that is kind of seen from the back, and she is believed to be the personification of Earth. So you have the... Before elements. Naked booty out. Yeah, right? Yeah. You and I are the naked ones. We're just chilling. That's all, that's all that I seems very fitting. I'm like a lifelong nudist. Right? And I'm like naked and playing with water, which is I'll perfect. I'll post a, a, a naked baby picture of me and on I'm the website. the lead player. <laughs> yes, you are the lead player. You're, you're decked out. Just and show like, it to me now. And I will. Find send it to you. Embroidered robes. Yes. You fancy. I'm fancy Jen. <laughs> Two of our listeners will get that. <laughs> yeah. We got fancy Jen over here in her red robes. And then and then Jen's got the disheveled hair. Where is <laughs> the young Yeah, because your hair's being blown by the wind. Because you're so air. Because you're air. You're yeah. that's you. That oh god. <laughs> Another uh, symbol, metals, obviously. Every metal is associated with a planet, color, vice, and virtue, and an evangelist, um, except for silver and gold. Silver is associated with the moon and gold with the sun. Then animals. There are a lot of animals that are associated with alchemy. Um, We have bird, snake, dragon, lion, and phoenix, and also the unicorn, apparently, which I was very excited about. Yeah, right? <laughs> <That's great. laughs> um, so the unicorn stands for uh, the double nature, divine and demonic, double nature of quicksilver, which is also known as mercury. Quicksilver, mercury. Oh. Mercury is like the prime thing used in alchemy. So, so the unicorn. 
Who knew? Um, and then uh, magistry, alchemists at work in a lab, uh, the ritual of mass, or the fetus in the mother's womb can all represent magistry. Uh, this involves basically involves both the physical and spiritual transformation. Chemical wedding, the perfect synthesis of cosmic polarities, which can be represented in art as a nuptial bath, the union of king and queen, sun and moon, brother and sister, or mother and son. Um, and obviously chemical wedding, like transmutation, you're you know, wedding chemicals together. Right. The alchemical fountain is a three-tiered fountain or a spring from the tree of life. Uh, also can easily be read as the fountain of youth. For sure. Because life and vitality mm -hmm. comes from it. Um, and then the philosopher's egg is uh, a lot like the philosopher's stone, except it's an egg. And it's an emblem. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's an emblem of gestating life. Uh, the egg is associated with the theme of cosmic rebirth. And it's basically, I mean, it's actually really interesting when you think about it like this. It's a symbol of order and differentiation of primordial chaos because it's like the egg is where life begins. Yeah. So it's all of primordial chaos in this little... This little little egg. In this Are little you guys egg. familiar with Vladimir Kush? No. Mm -hmm. Oh well, he does these like they're like new age surrealist paintings, but he has one that's like an egg. It's all it's all super trippy, but it's an egg cracking, and then the yolk is the sun. So it's mm -hmm. like a like a water sunset scene, and so the sides Ooh. of the eggs, the shell, are like cracking. He does like all of those things where it's like two things merging. It's using the egg as both like this precious stone but also like there's there's life mm -hmm. breathing from it um some other symbols uh the ladder which is used kind of similar to the journey like the ladder is mm. reaching this like perfection of mm -hmm. uh, the the laboratory where the alchemical transmutation is happening um the hermetic vase uh masters and disciples this kind of goes back to what Face was talking about with this whole initiatory knowledge, very secretive. It had to be like passed down to you. It had to be something you had the ins to understand alchemy. It was very secretive. So having images of masters and disciples kind of represents that like, you know, basically giving of the alchemical secrets and knowledge. And then the last one I want to talk about is one of my favorites as well, because I just thought it was super interesting and never would have thought about it this way um children's games oh can be <laughs> right oh. that was my exact reaction huh. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah so <laughs> children's games can be related to alchemy um basically play being used as a metaphor for life um and i'm just gonna like read this little chunk because i just think it's really cool an expression of the victorious struggle against one's own fears Play is a metaphor for life and for the hermetic magistry since it joins together the concepts of totality, rule, and freedom because it aims to tame creatively the anarchy of the elements and the passions. Children's games truly embody the very goal of alchemy, an artificial process that aims to bring nature's work to perfection. In this esoteric context, children's games, often depicted with hoops or balls, which are symbols of the totality of the cosmos and the eternal recurrence of events, hint that the conquest of the Philosopher's Stone can be achieved by putting into play unconscious psychic forces, similar to those used by children to animate their games. So it's kind of this really interesting, like, I mean, it goes back to trying to make order out of chaos. You know, it's why yeah. we play games. Right. It's like... Just taking what's given to us by the universe and turning it into something orderly and like with meaning. So I just thought that was really cool. <laughs> and this image, yeah, has fantastic. Has some little baby booty. Oh, <laughs> are those two little quail? Yeah, yeah, there's a little swinging pooty. Crossing his legs, so pooty are just lightly. timeless. They are. They're in everything. Add panache to any painting. <laughs> they really do. If you're not, if you're like working on a painting and it's not quite there yet, add a pooty. <laughs> <laughs> Sprinkles on a painting. Oh. I cannot wait to see pooty to start cropping up in your work. Oh <laughs> man, that'd be so great. Oh, he's gonna creep up. <laughs> I don't know how. Pooty just coming out of the oh, corner. Just um, 
um, in your studio, like up in the ceiling. Like on the ceiling. Yeah, oh, I don't have a ceiling. Oh shit! Yeah. Can we hang them though? Maybe you can do whatever you want. Last symbol, also the wheel. Ah uh, yes. Of course, the wheel. Um, <laughs> symbol of cosmic, natural, and psychic totality. So you know. So that's <laughs> Yeah. So there's a lot of symbols in alchemy, and those weren't even all of them. (laughs) I couldn't even talk about all all of them. So check out this book and other books about alchemy and art because it's really fucking fascinating. Um, I'm going to pass it over to Jenny, and she's going to talk about hermetics and some other cool alchemy shit. Okay. (laughs) When I was doing research on alchemy, like we said at the beginning, there's so many layers to it, and it can get very complex. There's still a huge majority that I don't know about it. But what kind of struck a chord with me was hermeticism. And I have a bit of experience with this, somewhat limited, but in my own research kind of regarding the 17th century and how some 17th century European scholars regarded Egypt and um, this kind of concept of hermeticism and these Greek slash Egyptian sages. So I'll get into that in a moment. But First, um, the book that I consulted, and we'll have this up on the website, that it's from the Hermetic Museum, and it's called Alchemy and Mysticism. And so they're written in a way that presents kind of like instruction, and the original uh, text was written in the 17th century in Germany, and it compiled various um, alchemical texts. And then it was republished and republished and republished. And so this is like a very contemporary version that is made a little bit more friendly to kind of your average person like myself. There was still a lot in it that I read. I was like, I don't know what they're saying. (laughs) But um, for the most part, I got it. So the original, as I said, was written in the form of kind of a dialogue. And it was written in a way that was meant to be instructional, where a particular person, in this case, um, Hermes Trismegistus, who I'll talk about very shortly, is enlightening a disciple. And so the various topics that are touched upon in this text cover things including the divine, nature, astrology, and of course, alchemy. And so the Hermetic Museum kind of touches upon all these different things, but most of what I was looking at was alchemy, of course. So when we're talking about this guy, Hermes, who's Hermes, right? So Hermes is, or in particular, Hermes Trismegistus was the father of mysticism and alchemy. That's how he was viewed um, by a lot of people kind of in and around the world of alchemy. So Hermes is a hybrid between Greek and Egyptian gods as Greek colonists in Egypt in the late classical period claimed that the Greek uh, winged messenger god Hermes was also thought the Egyptian god of writing and magic. So Hermes really grew to embody these different concepts of both magic and textual decipherment, but also heavily involved in the visual world. And the alchemists saw him as their kind of Moses, who had handed down the divine commandments of their art in what they called the Emerald Tablet, or the tab... I'm okay. (laughs) I know, it's... I'm going to say it, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's hard. Tabula Smaragdina. Mm -hmm. Tabula Smaragdina. Okay, that was good. That was good. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And so this is kind of like almost their version of the Ten Commandments in that it's laws written onto like a physical piece of stone. And so this uh, emerald tablet was said to contain the secret of the prima materia, which is first matter. And this is the material that is needed in creating the Philosopher's Stone as well as the transmutation, which is the process of changing something into gold. So this is a tradition. Hermeticism is very closely linked to alchemy, and it's just one aspect of it. But my own experience with it is, uh, in my own research, I kind of blend together different aspects of 17th century European Uh, philosophy and art and religion and how they viewed Egypt. 
And in particular, there is a German Jesuit print, uh, priest. I was going to say prince. Uh, he's just a, he was a priest. <laughs> and his name was Athanasius Kircher. And Athanasius, Athanasius Kircher is also in this alchemy book that I have. A lot of what can get confusing with this is that so much of the traditions involved in alchemy kind of ride these various lines where there are Christian undertones, or not even undertones, they're overtones. Christianity is um, certainly interwoven throughout it. But then there's also an emphasis on mysticism and magic, and they're able to kind of blend them together in a way that seemed to work <laughs> for the time at least. And so Athanasius Kircher was one of these guys, and there's a lovely engraving, <laughs> and we'll post this on the website. He just looks adorable. He looks like a oh, like so a little, cute. like I would love to have like a plastic version of this with a light inside and put it on my lawn. <laughs> not, even, not even at like holiday time, just all the time. Just a little guy. He would protect you. you. Yeah. He looks so genuine. I he know, does. he does. So in this uh, print, the description is, Here, Kircher is receiving instruction from the angel Cosmiel, who is guiding him on an extended dream journey through the competing astronomical systems. He favored the cosmology of Brahe, don't know who that is, sorry, uh, since he wanted to do justice to the fundamental experience of geocentricity, while at the same time wanting to give an appropriate status to the sun, which in the hermetic view represents the divine in the cosmos. And the sun is, of course, a symbol that we see quite a bit in alchemy. Uh, so hermeticism, like I said, it, it really runs in a lot of ways parallel to alchemy and is quite integral to alchemy. And what I was really struck by when I was researching about alchemy was kind of this dual relationship between the emphasis on text and deciphering text, but also kind of the visual. So the symbols that are represented and especially this connection to ancient Egypt and how ancient Egypt and kind of the mythology of ancient Egypt is really considered a source of like kind of this original knowledge and mysticism and magic, but also advancements in engineering and mathematics. And so this is where Kircher comes in because he did a lot of work in deciphering hieroglyphics. I say that kind of with air quotes because as we know hieroglyphics now and how they have been deciphered now, what he was doing was really uh, incorrect. <laughs> um, but he was doing it all through kind of this perceived like mystical, divine sort of providence where he was deciphering these because of these greater powers and this Hermes sage god guy that's um, a big part of alchemy and a big part of um, hermeticism. So that was my own kind of take on this and I'm still processing a lot of it <laughs> and uh, there, there's just a lot to say about it but it's Alchemy just touches upon so many different aspects of different kind of Christian branch offs. And we had mentioned this a while ago. I had gone to an exhibit. There's a museum in San Jose, California called the Rosicrucian. And the Rosicrucian Museum has an excellent permanent um, collection of ancient Egyptian art. And they even have a few mummies. Mummies! Which, whoa, you know, few mummies. <laughs> Not just, just one. You just casually a few, a few mummies. <laughs> like, I just like Can we love take a, seeing a girls mummies. Field trip? Yes. Yes. yes, we gotta go visit. The we mummies. should. We've gotta go. And so the thing that's really interesting about the Rosicrucian and the Rosicrucian, like the Rosicrucians, are again kind of a branch off. They they are involved in alchemy and involved in Christianity, but also kind of incorporate different aspects of um, Kabbalah and Hermeticism. So it's all interconnected, you know? Um, so it's, crazy. it's crazy! It's crazy! Very confusing. It's so confusing. so many connections! I'm just saying it's all interconnected because I'm, I'm still like, huh, I don't know. Um, but so the Rosicrucian Museum, they have this uh, collection of Egyptian art, but now they also have an alchemy museum. 
and it's still ongoing like they're they're getting it together it's a kind of whole campus of the rosicrucian museum they have um, various libraries so they're working on the alchemy museum but they currently have an exhibit where they have they break down all the various different stages of alchemy and it's really it's pretty easy to follow and it's very well done and they have a recreation of an alchemist workshop which was like the <gasps> coolest thing I've ever seen. So um, if you are ever around the area, I highly recommend checking it out. We should all go. Can we go, please? Yes. Do we it. For my birthday. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We can make a night of it. Definitely. Yes. Contour from Cox has all your favorites all in one place. And with the Contour remote, you can use your voice to find them on live TV, on demand, and streaming apps like Netflix, Prime Video, and more. See Cox.com for details. So that's uh, Hermeticism and some other stuff. <laughs> but I hope I made it make sense. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a complicated topic. Like, I think we're all doing our best, but... Let's be honest, does anyone really understand alchemy? <laughs> oh, I wish I did, because I feel like then I'd really be like an enlightened, just scholar, wizard dude. Yeah, right? Yeah. right? I seriously have been reading about it for a year and a half, and I still don't know what the fuck it's about. No, I mean, it's mysterious. That's yes. what's so interesting about it, is it, it's this mysterious, complicated thing, but yet it permeated centuries yeah and exactly. like, right. and it, it, it was both religious and scientific and it's just and magical yeah and, and yeah. it's like what oh. um yeah it's crazy do you want to finish off with a few with a little bit on sure anselm I, yeah our I, boy i have like a little personal anecdote yay i love <laughs> personal anecdotes that leads into some information but um yeah, so I've had a love affair with Anselm Keeper for a very long time. For real, sure. But I was, I feel like I was only really exposed to, like, his great, like, behemoth uh, paintings that were, you know, about Germany after World War II, and, like, that's all I knew. I mean, I loved them. Yeah, that, no, they're great. Like, yeah. That's all I knew, until... I went to the Broad for the first time. Oh, dope. Saw, yeah, I saw this piece. I didn't even know it was Kiefer's. It was like this really tall hunk of lead that had been treated like chemically. Whoa. So it was like all these crazy colors, but like matte oh. silver or like gray and like silver. And, and it had these two photographs overlaid on top of it. And I was obsessed with that it. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it does. I, and I, not, I feel like... I don't know, like, I love Kiefer, but Kiefer's work is very, it's very Kiefer, you know? Yeah. When you see it, you're like, right. yes. And so to, like, be surprised by Anselm Kiefer. No, I was, like, totally taken by surprise. I was like, what? Is this a mistake? <laughs> <laughs> it does not at all look like Kiefer. Yeah. But, and so mm. I did some research when I got home and I looked at what the Broad had in its permanent collection for Kiefer. And of course they have like all of the classic like Kiefer-esque yeah, paintings. Mm -hmm. But then they have like all of these pieces that are very similar to the one that I saw and loved. And one of them I like spotted had alchemical symbols oh, the one, yeah like the one for air and the one for fire and then i saw that the title was athenor which let me tell you yeah <laughs> i don't even know an athenor is a type of furnace used by the alchemists that was able to maintain heat for long periods of time and I was like, what? <laughs> because I had just been researching alchemy and like getting super excited about it. And yeah, yeah it was it was this whole new perspective on all of his work. And then I did more research. There was a period after Kiefer left Germany uh, for Barjac in southern France um, in the early 90s. And there was sort of the shift in his work that went from an emphasis on sort of collective memory and national history to alchemical, yeah, that's it, to alchemical concern centered more on the individual. 
And he also, I found, uh, made this incredible series of woodcuts during that time that directly reference some of the four stages that um, I talked about earlier. Yeah. And even the choice of wood is referencing like the fire necessary Whoa. for the transmutation Ooh. process and like the lead. Yeah. Really yeah. It was yeah. referencing like base metals. Um, yeah. My mind was blown. But it's amazing. Yeah. I feel like there are all of these artists that like were really interested in alchemy and like you don't know like I didn't know yeah I mean it makes like theoretically it just makes sense that as an artist to be playing with compounds and chemicals and elements to create something new like why not what else would you do you know what I mean like I love that it's making I don't know that's making this like come back and it's showing up in contemporary art and stuff I think Mm -hmm. it's super cool and magical and interesting and who knows maybe we'll learn how to transmute uh elements into gold did you know the money we would save if we could figure out the whole water to wine oh yeah dude (laughs) or if you just want to send us wine we're fine with that (laughs) that would be ideal all right so that's all we have on alchemy, even though we could go on forever and ever. <laughs> yes. um, it's it's really vast, and there's so much, and like, I don't know, we might do an alchemy part two in the future, because there's just... Yes. Yeah, dude, I'm down. Yeah, there's so much to do, but we are definitely going to also do a tarot episode that Faith will be on yes. for as well. I'm so excited for that one. So be looking out for that, and we'll probably do an Anselm Kiefer, because... Please, please, please. Because <laughs> all about, all about Kiefer. Um... But yeah, so let's head on over to listener mail. Jen, you got this one? Oh, okay. (laughs) So this is a cute one because this girl. (laughs) You'll you'll see. You'll see. All right. Hi, babes. I'm a babe, too. Of course you are. Um. What you can miss out from my super strange, too hard to pronounce name. Uh, yeah, I might have missed that. I'm not going to say your name, but it's hard to pronounce. So I'm just another girl living in Lithuania. That's Eastern Europe. Too far away to know anything about it, right? Hey, girl, I'm Lithuanian. <gasps> I didn't even know. Yeah, my girl. Are you too? No, I was, I was oh. just. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> my uh, great-grandfather came from Lithuania. Wow. Yeah. Dude, nice. that's awesome. So, hey, uh, we know Lithuania. Kind of. All right, so... She's just another passionate art and art history lover. I wanted to thank you for helping me go through the past week, in which I had to deal with a crazy 26-hour trip, bad jet lag, and some cultural back-to-routine shock. And I never used to listen to podcasts for some reason. I guess there wasn't an opportunity to know more about it or something like that. After finishing my babe book, 33 Artists in Three Acts by Sarah Thornton, totally recommend, I was just kind of desperately searching for another good artsy thing, uh, which would not be a book. And after typing random art-related words in podcast search, I found you guys, and I'm really glad about it. So, that's a big thank you. I really appreciate what you're doing, and the way you talk is very easy, but yet informative to listen to. I had a lot of art history classes in my life, which I started to attend in early middle school. Wow, I wish we had that. Yeah, for real. So I'm always happy to find someone who can talk about art and art history in this fun, comforting, but professional way. And now the funny coincidence part. As I said, I'm from Lithuania, but I was just visiting some of my family in San Francisco. About a week ago, me and my brother decided to go to some random concert, and then we found Napalm Death performing at the chapel in the mission. <laughs> the chapel is so cool. Yeah. The fun part is that I'm pretty sure I was standing near one of you guys, Jen. Yes, it was me. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. Oh, my God. So, yes, yes, it was a pretty great concert. God, what a cool coincidence. That's it for me. Thank you, girls. Keep it up. Hugs from cold and snowy Lithuania, where I am back. That is so cool. I am so... I love how small the world is. I know. I I was the first one to read this listener mail, and my mind was blown. I was like, what? (laughs) What are the chances? Man. That's awesome. That was was a really good concert. Um, (laughs) You know, if uh, any of the art history babes, listeners or metalheads, San Francisco just has everything. Thing. So if you ever want to live somewhere uh, with a really 
thriving metal scene, the Bay Area, California. It's the place to be. Dude, we all need to go to a metal show with you. I would yeah. 100% be down. I would I'm going, go with you. I go to like so many metal shows, you guys. Yeah, come with me. You know that I'm culturally so curious about that whole <laughs> you know, subculture. We've been talking about this for a while. Yeah. Um, Nile is playing in February. <gasps> That's that Egyptian band. <laughs> you know I'm down for that. Yeah, I, I'm pretty good. They gotta have a song about like obelisks or something. Um, if but they, I'm going. Oh, Judy Lake is in the mosh pit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. I'm a huge fan. They talk all their songs are about like Osiris. Like I that's think that awesome. the guitarist is like an amateur Egyptologist. That's and amazing. Literally every album, every song is a, it's got something to do with ancient Egypt or some other like mystical shit yeah. and they're just awesome and they're super heavy and they're fast. And I love them. That sounds super fun. Yeah. yeah. I need to go. I'll go. I'll yes. go. I'll go. We'll all go. We're all going to go. We're all going to go. <laughs> Nile, February 24th. I can't wait. <laughs> if you, you want to be huge. If you want to hang out with Air History Babes, that's where we'll be. Also, we're going to be in Europe soon. We mentioned that already, but just a reminder. <laughs> reminder. <laughs> but thank you for listening to our alchemy episode. Um, if you have any like thoughts or questions about alchemy, please email them to us because it's like We'd super interesting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We would love to know more. We'd love questions that kind of go deeper into this because it could go on for forever. We could have an alchemy podcast. <laughs> there are alchemy podcasts. They're amazing. Oh, sure. oh that's fantastic. Um, but thank you so much for listening. Uh, please head over to our website, arthistorybabes.com. Click around. We really appreciate it. Seriously, everything helps. Also, if you're feeling extra giving, patreon.com slash arthistorybabes. We've gotten some really amazing uh, contributions. So generous. So generous, and we really appreciate it. So if you can throw in a couple dollars, we really, really appreciate it. It helps us keep this going. You can follow us on Instagram at arthistorybabespodcast. Twitter at Art History Babes. Find us on Facebook. Like us. All that jazz. We really appreciate it. You guys are awesome. We have like the best fans in the world. Thank you for listening. You're fantastic. Ciao. <laughs> Bye. From Geico presents, oh, not again, another voicemail from your roommate. Hey, man, so I was in a rush to get to work and I left the back door open. Could you shut it? I left it wide open. Uh, while you're there, could you also turn off the oven? And all of the burners. <laughs> My mom never let me use the oven. I wonder why. <laughs> the Geico Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected, like if it's your roommate's first time operating an oven. Visit Geico.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance.